I pray that for the next few moments, God, you would just open our hearts and minds to hear what was written a long time ago, but still is as fresh as this morning's news, God. There's a, there's a propheticness to these chapters we're going to look at today, and I pray that we wouldn't miss any of it. It's not for them only. It's for us today. So open our hearts, anoint us, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church and to the individuals in it, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Here we are, guys. Week eight of a 13-week summer series. How many of you guys are ready for summer just to be over with? No, right? It just got started three weeks ago. So here we are. So Romans chapters 1 through 8 clearly displayed what the gospel is. If John 3.16 is the gospel in micro form, Romans 1 through 8 is the gospel in macro form. But, but this is where Paul's going to start transitioning this letter to, from theology to a real practical application. Remember, we said this the very first week, that the church that he's writing to was once a Gentile and Jewish church, but then the Jews were expelled from Rome in 70 AD. They were not allowed to come back for five to eight years. No one's quite sure on that. But when they came back, the Jews had kind of reverted back into some legalistic, they, they kind of taken Christianity and the grace of God and what Jesus had done for them. But in the absence of, uh, of other influences, Roman influences, Gentile influences, people who'd been saved by the same grace, they kind of reverted back into a little bit of like Judaism. So they're, they're thinking, well, if you're not circumcised, if you don't obey the Sabbath, if you don't do certain Jewish things, then you're not right with God. And so they're, they're coming back together again, and Paul's trying to show the Jews and the Gentiles, those who believe in the works of the law, the legalism, and those who walk in the grace of God, how to walk together. Are you still here? All right, so here we go. So um, I want you to consider this statement that even though I tried to rewrite it a dozen times, this is really the best I came up with. It's poorly written. Are you ready for a poorly written sentence? How many of you guys want to get out your red marker like a third grade English teacher and just start? All right, here we go. Hopefully you get the heart of it. The gospel believed, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ received from the loving God, the loving Father, is what fundamentally changes people. I know that's not a Pastor Adam Power statement, but there's a truth in that that we just have to get into. This is the premise of the entirety of chapters 9 and 10. It's, it's not anything less than a divine encounter with the person. Let me show you something for the lives of two men. First one is the man known as Saul of Tarsus. You'll find him in Acts chapters uh, 6, and, and he kind of disappears as Saul of Tarsus from the pages of the Bible shortly thereafter. But he's a Pharisee, which means he's not just a, an Orthodox Jew. He's the strictest sect of Orthodoxy in Judaism. He is an, an absolute zealot. Now, understand this. Those who are, are zealous for law, everybody say law, those who see thou shalt and thou shalt not and don't see God, let me say it again, those who see what you should do and those who see what you should not do, but don't, they don't see the heart of God. One of the things they need for that religious expression to exist is people less than them to judge. Let me say it again. Because this is not just then, some of this can happen now. Not, not amongst us, not in the United States, but lesser parts of the world. There, there's a, there's a, a religious notion, there's a religious thought that for me to be safe and in right standing with God, what I need is to stand on people that are less moral than I am, elevate myself before God and say, aren't I cool? And so in order to, to maintain that orthodoxy, which is not orthodox at all, what you have to have is people that, that sin more than you sin or are, are not as good at hiding it as you are. 
right? And so Saul of Tarsus is a Pharisee. His, his standing before God is predicated on everyone else falling before God. He is holier than the Orthodox Jews. He's holier by far than the Gentiles. He's holier than most of the priests. And when I get in charge, boy, I'm going to show them what holiness really looks like. He's a, he's a youngish man, and he's a terror. One, of the, one day he finds this group uh, of people that are following Jesus, and because of their faith in Christ, and they're saying, listen, the temple's cool and animal sacrifice and Sabbath days and holy days and holidays and feasts and fasts, wonderful, but I'm saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. He said, oh, no, you're not. And so not only is he, is he standing on top of them saying, I'm better than you are, he believes that what he should do is execute people who believe in the grace of God. Again, this doesn't happen today. Legalism died long ago. <clears throat> Excuse me, I lied. And, and what I'm saying is this. He literally is, is, is I'm going to find this guy. I'm going to catch this guy where they find this poor guy named Stephen. He's, he's awesome. He loves the Lord. And as they drag him outside the city, uh, the Jews are not allowed to execute Roman citizens. They're not allowed to execute anybody. They didn't have that legal right. But they figured out a way that was both biblical and legal. See, I didn't kill him if I just took one stone and threw it at him. And if you get 50 people thrown one stone, eventually the guy dies and nobody's really guilty. Does that make sense? So they take him outside and they lay their cloaks. They lay their, you know, they're going to warm up. We need to get our tunics off. Okay, we're ready. All right, here we go. Give me a rock. And so they're laying their cloaks. Well, he's basically presiding over the execution of Stephen. Stephen is praying. He's worshiping. And he's forgiving the people as they throw the stones at his head. Eventually, one of them strikes him in a, a lethal spot and he dies. And look what Acts chapter 8 says. And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. Everybody's gathering their stuff. They're running for their lives. Just don't, don't even get that. They're coming. They're coming. And they grab the baby. They grab, and they just take off and split to go stay with Aranth and Schenectady. They just got to get out of town. They're scattered throughout Judea, even into Samaria. Godly men took the body of Stephen. They buried him. They mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women. It makes me wonder what happened to the children. It makes me wonder what happened to the livestock. It makes me wonder what happened to the property. It makes me wonder what happened to the garden. He drugged them off, men and women, and he put them in prison. How many of you know that's a very bad man? That's, that's a Osama bin Pharisee. That's, that's, that's a bad man. Let me show you another man completely different, known as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is saved by the grace of God. He, he walked in a former life that he repented of. He realized was wrong. He came to Christ, gave his life to Jesus, had an encounter through the gospel with Jesus Christ. Um, he had a gratitude towards God that was profound. He was known to not just worship God, but to repeat to everybody, man, just give thanks in all circumstances. Just rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. I'm not, it doesn't bother me. I'm going to say it one more time. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Like he was just like, just everybody just stay in the presence of God. He was, a, he was a different kind of a guy. He was imprisoned eventually and executed because of the same faith in Jesus that Stephen had when Stephen was executed. And I want you to listen to his heart concerning the people that plotted and carried out his death. It says this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself never knew the gospel. If I could trade my life for theirs, 
for all eternity being separated from Christ. I love these people so much. Their, their lives are so precious to me. These, their, their promises that God gave them, God's heart for them, just they're so lost. I would do anything for them to be saved, even up to and including my own life and my eternal life, if I, that I myself are cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Now, um, boy, I... I think we probably know this, right, that, that Saul of Tarsus and the Apostle Paul are the same guy. And, and this is where we have to come to a place in our own lives because, again, this is an ancient letter, but it's a, it's a right now word. There's an experience that we have with a person. We, we can change gradually through religious uh, endeavors. We can discipline ourselves to become better. We can grow more and more holy, less and less you know, unholy, more and more religious. But, but you have to understand this. The gospel is the power of God to save. Believing, not, not just these words, but the person who spoke them, having faith, having trust in relationship is the key to this. And so he's telling them in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, listen, it, it's, it's, it's not about what you think it is. I, I am a life transformed by an encounter. Everybody say encounter. An encounter with God. So how could Saul get any more religious than he was. And I just hear this. We can never forget that the gospel of Jesus Christ, contained in Romans chapter 1 through 8 that we've already studied in the last, you know, eight weeks, is not a new set of laws. It's a revelation of the only way that has ever existed to be in right standing with God. It is a little confusing because in our nature, we really want to know what we have to do to be right. And so if it's don't murder, I won't murder. Am I cool? Is everything good? Don't covet, all right, I won't covet. I'll close my eyes if I have to. I'll walk away if I have to, but I won't covet. Are we good, God? Is everything okay? And so they really caught on to, the Jews really caught on to the law. But, but please, again, this is in Galatians, it's in Romans, it's all over Paul's writings. The law was never intended to make people innocent. It was only supposed to make them guiltier. <laughs> and so when, when we have the law as our basis for relationship, regardless of how zealous we may be, in the end, what we end up doing is, is either having confessed we're just more lost than we ever imagined or faking as if we're not. And so let me, let me explain. When Adam sinned, he didn't lose a religion. Everybody just stop for a second. When God says, don't eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of fruit and evil, don't pretend you're God. Don't, don't step into my role knowing good from me. Just Relax. I'll be God. You be my son. I'll reveal things to you as time goes on. But, you know, the day you eat of this, you shall surely die. So don't eat of this. And what happens is, is they, they do. Well, when he does, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, it's not like they lost a religion. Well, I guess we can't go to that garden every Saturday. I guess Sunday's mornings are free now to go play soccer. I don't, I, you know, everything. Like, they didn't lose a religion. When Adam and Eve sinned, hear me, they didn't lose a religion. They lost a relationship. So when Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of all mankind, Adam's, mine, and yours, he's not going to restore religion. He's not going to restore morality. He's not going to tell you which candidate to vote for. He's not going to tell you what news channel to watch. It's not about that. It never was in the Old Testament prior to, to Moses' law, Abraham. It never was through the, the, the covenant of law held in Moses. And it's never going to be on this side of the cross with the resurrected Jesus who died for our sins. It was never about morality. It was always about trust. It was always about relationship. It was always about faith. It's so important that we understand what Christianity and therefore what the church is. Um, it's not a group of people commonly agreeing on doctrine and practice, whether we like Chris Tomlin or Hillsong. It, it, it's, 
Oh, don't even get me started. It's a group of people who've been fundamentally altered by an encounter with a person that now live in a relationship with one another based on that relationship with that person. That's what the church is. So Paul explains how it works this way. Um, oh, I didn't do that part. Did I? Here we go. Um, he says, Romans chapter 9, verse 16, it, and by it he means salvation. Salvation does not therefore depend on human desire or human effort, but on God's mercy. Take a look at that statement for a second. In, in other words, human desire is what we want. Your salvation does not depend upon what you want. And it was quiet. Your salvation does not depend upon your effort. Human desire is what I want. Human effort is what I can do. But what does it depend on? But on God's mercy. God's mercy is what God wants and what only God can do. Are you hearing me? Um, it, it's, a, it's an ongoing debate. And it's funny because one group would say, well, I read James. And James says, you have works. Uh, you know, I have faith, you have works. But, you know, how do you prove that you have faith without works? Faith without works is... It's dead, right? So, we, okay, we got to do works. We got to do works. If we have faith, you got to have works. You have works to show it. And then we've got Paul over in Romans saying, listen, it's, it's by the grace you're saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. See, well, that sounds contradictory. If James says you don't have faith without works and, and Paul says works can't save you, it's only by faith and grace, then which one's right? You know what the answer is? Yes. Because James is speaking to a group of people that are trusting something that's out of balance and false. And Paul is speaking to a different group, different group of people, also known as a grouple, evidently, that, that is, uh, careful, don't step on the grouple. I, I'm sorry, the words just have pictures of me. But there's another grouple of people that, that has a different out of balance, and they're calling them correction. But the spot of correction is both Jesus. What you need is relationship. If you have a relationship, there's going to be flowers. There's going to be candy. There's going to be celebrated birthdays. If, if, if you think that celebrated birthdays and flowers and candy gives you a relationship, you're wrong. I cannot walk into my wife and say, okay, it's Tuesday. It's your birthday. Here's your stupid flowers. Here's your stupid gift card. Here's your stupid Starbucks. Are we cool? Are we good? I mean, no, that's not a relationship. I did the works, but I didn't do them because of relationship. I did them hoping that I wasn't in trouble. If I walk her and say, I love you, she goes, prove it. Eh, I'd rather not. <laughs> Words are nice, but I'd rather, ladies, I'd rather you didn't just tell me. I'd rather you, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, what is that? What, 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 what we're saying is it's it, marriage. It's, it's relationship. It's human. It's are we together, aren't we? Well, the gifts don't give me a relationship. But if there's a relationship, there's probably going to be gifts that are given and received. Does it make sense? So what, what James and Paul are both saying is, is a different side of the same coin. Listen, it's a relationship with Jesus. It's not human effort. It's not human desire. It's God's effort and God's desire and our faith in him to save us and our desire in our heart to know him that, that builds this relationship called salvation. He's going to continue. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What then shall we say? This is what we're going to say. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. How many of you guys know if you're a Jew, that just ticks you off? Do you know how hard I've been working to obey things? Do you know how many hours I put into studying and memorizing and repeating? I've got little special underwear with tassels on it. You know, wear that to J.R.U. you and find out if you don't get, like, made fun of, you know, and the Gentiles are there. Like, do you realize what I have never eaten? I've always wanted to eat a snake, and I've never been able to because God says no. When my Gentile friends have catfish dinners, I can never join them. It's just such a drag. And then Paul comes back and he says this, that those who did not pursue righteousness, they've obtained it. And it's a righteousness that is by faith. Let me define faith. 
Faith here means relational trust in God. Let me just read it a different way. That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they've obtained it. It's a righteousness that comes by a relational trust in God. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, they've not obtained their goal. Why not? This is why not. Because they pursued it not by a relational trust in God, but as if their works accomplished outside of relationship with God, they, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Jesus. How many of you guys know that stumbling stone still exists today? I just want to know, how much do I have to give before I've given enough to be right with God? I just want to know, how many, how many times a month do I have to go to church? Like, it, like three, am I still, I'll take a B minus if that's what it takes during soccer season. Three a month, is two, oh, but only one of them, oh, you only go to Christmas and Easter? You're going to have to live in the mobile home section in heaven if you get there at all. Right? Where do we get this from? We get this from a, from a typical carnal know, religious mindset that says, the more I do, the more he loves me. And the more I do that I shouldn't do, the more he tolerates me if he can much longer. Both of those, both of those are such errors. And so, um, if I accomplish righteousness, let's, let's say, Pastor Kim, can I just point you out just for giggles because you're here? And if I say anything wrong, you can beat me up afterwards and it'll be fun. Pastor Kim is in the front row of Freedom Center Church at 9 o'clock in the morning. He was here for prayer. He's engaged with a dozen or more people in meaningful conversation, looking for opportunities to minister. He's, he's wearing shorts, so he does believe in the grace of God. I can see his legs. I believe in the grace of God. You know, it's all right right there. Right? If he is here today, how many of you guys know he, he has produced fruits of righteousness? Now, if he produced the fruits of righteousness by his own self-will, by his own desire to earn God's love, his reward for being here today is? But if he's here today because he's been loved by a God who told him to love other people, He's here earlier today because he believes that God wants to do something great, and by engaging his voice with the prayers of others, he can see heaven come to earth. If he's here today because he's leading his wife, his daughter, his grandchildren, if he's being a priest in his home by faith, he, he's, there is a reward. What I'm trying to say is this. People who are self-righteous and people who are truly righteous do the exact same things. They just do them for different reasons. And if you miss the reason for being here today, the reason for giving in the offering, the reason for coming to prayer, the reason for serving during Summer Spectacular, the, the reason for going out to lunch with a stranger today, if you miss, you can do all the right things. The Pharisees did all the right things. And Jesus goes, here's the problem. You are whitewashed, tombs, <laughs> filled with dead men's bones. How many of you know, that's, that's, a, that's a 33 AD yo mama. That's a, that's a, oh, that's it, man. You know, the, the yarmulke is off. You know what I mean? When a rabbi looks at a bunch of Orthodox Jews and says, you look good on the outside, but you're so stinking, decaying, rotten on the inside, and I can smell you from here. Hallelujah. It's like that. Right? What I'm trying to say to you guys is this. God doesn't look at the outward appearances of our actions. He looks at our heart. Sweet little old widow lady walks up in the temple with two copper coins. Amidst the fanfare of the wealthy, that are dumping gold into a bin. Jesus, seeing the entire scene, sees her drop the last two coins she has. And no one notices. It barely makes a sound when it hits the bottom of the bucket. And Jesus, literally, in all four Gospels, all four Gospels, how many of you know not everything's recorded in all four Gospels? All four Gospels, Jesus says, stop, whoa, whoa, whoa everybody, shh, shh. 
Quiet, quiet, quiet. You missed something special. Did you see what she just did? Now, was she the biggest giver of the day? But there was something special about her trust in God when she gave all that she had. Even though, if, if the guy that gave everything he had, and there's horses and chariots and houses and land, and just two coins. And what was she saying? She wasn't saying, I plant seed. I want a hundredfold blessing because I need lunch in an hour. She's literally saying, I trust you. And she walked away empty-handed. And Jesus goes, everybody stop. That's the coolest thing I've seen all day. Are you still here? It's not what she did. It's why she did it. It's not what you're doing today. It's why are you doing it today. It's not who you forgive. It's why you're forgiving them. It's not who you serve. It's why you're serving them. We don't save ourselves. We decide that he is the Savior and we choose him. And we prefer him as he has chosen us and preferred us. And when that covenant of faith, that trust, I believe, like I'm holding on to you, then God can lift us. We can bring heaven to earth. But I admire you and I want to be more religious and I want to say the right words and I want to pray eloquently. I think God just goes, let me know when you wake up. Hear me today. What we do is second to why we do it. He continues. You guys still here? Romans 10, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. We know that. He's willing to go to hell for them. I can testify it. I can tell you all about them. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on, like, knowing the truth about God. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and, and sought to establish their own, they, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of all the do's and don'ts so that there may be righteousness for everyone who what? A relational trust. There's that word again. Faith, trust, believes. Well, what does that mean? And that, here's the power statement. Pastor Adam would be so proud of me. Big letter power statement. You ready? Righteousness is a person believed. It's not a law obeyed. Let me say it again. Your righteousness is a person believed, not a law obeyed. You can obey all the laws you want, but having transgressed one at any time in your life, you're guilty and you can't pay your own fine. Righteousness is a person believed. Righteousness is a person believed. Everybody say it with me. Come on. Righteousness is a person believed. Say it again. Righteousness is a It's not a law obeyed. We, we will be more moral people. I, I mean, I hang out with my wife, and through the last 30 years of being in the same room together and talking together and learning together, living together, loving together, forgiving together, fighting together, I'm, I am more like her because of proximity and relationship than I ever could have been by reading a book about her. I have a relationship with Dina Wiegand that makes Jim Wiegand a better man. Same thing here. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes Jim Wiegand a better man. I'm not saying behavior won't exist. I'm saying the behavior that flows from a, a trusting relationship with God is, is the, the evidence of a relationship. It's, it's evidence of salvation. It's evidence of his blessing. It's evidence of his intervention in my life. I'm not trying hard to get something Jesus died to give me for free. <laughs> I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying what he gave me, right? You still here? Let that sink in for a second. Righteousness is a person believed. It's not a law obeyed. He starts landing a plane here and says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Again, can you imagine 20, 30, 40, 60 years of obeying every law, trying to be good enough? And then that wise guy throws that up on the board. You know, Paul, you don't understand how hard I've worked to be right before God. 
I've had to find people that were worse than I am in every area so I could feel secure in my own right standing before God. I've done all the things that righteous men of the past have done, and I, I've, I've tried very hard. I've, I've had mentors and tormentors. I've, I've fasted. I've, I've tortured my own physical body so it would be weakened. I've, you know, they used to have the, called the flagellums where they would take this whip and they would just beat themselves. They'd have a bad thought and they'd beat themselves and tear their back up. That was a, that was a sign of just really wanting God. Do you think God wants his children to beat themselves? It's, it's such a sick, perverse painful, stupid thing to do because at the end, you end up with the scars of your own making instead of trusting the scars that were of his making for you. There's a relationship. You want to be free? You want to be forgiven? You want to grow? Trust him. You want to be in bondage? You want to become more religious and twice as miserable as before and still not go to heaven? Then find every law you can and with your own strength and your own self, try to do righteous things. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. I'm going to land the plane with this thought. I, uh, it was years ago. I was up in Gaylord at a, a friend's cabin. We took the whole staff. One of those great little vacation spots where you want to wear a Hawaiian shirt and just hang out, you know? We would work and work and work and work until our brains fried, and then I'd say, okay, everybody get lost. I'd say, okay, what, what time does the meeting start again? I'd say, when you get hungry, come back. And they had a couple of motorcycles and a quad. They had a little fishing boat and a paddle boat. There was a little beach. It was a small house. We lived on top of each other. By the, by the time the, the end of the evening came, everybody worked like 12, 14 hours of thought work. We just watched Nacho Libre because it was the dumbest thing you could put on a television in our stretchy pants. We, we were baptized. It was great. And uh, it was just stupid. But I... I remember, because it was a prayer retreat and an intimacy retreat, just getting along with friends and with God, I just, I'd had a bad day. All the details, all the frustrations, all the, did you do this or that? I, I remember being angry. And if you know me well, um, I have an issue with anger. I, I just, if I'm out of control, I'm in danger. That's been, some, that's been a lie that I'm, I'm trying to reprogram myself from being a cop. Do you ever do that, Kim? You're a cop. That if I'm not in control, I'm in danger. And the way to get control against, to gain control, some things you can't control. You know, like people and weather and traffic and life and everything. I can't even control myself. How can I hope to control everything else? I remember I was walking alone around this lake that I've walked around many times and God spoke to me. I was just begging him for a word. This is what I was saying to God. God, and I, maybe you said this, but literally I just said, God, I'm, I'm in my 40s, late 40s. I don't know if I get to live to my late 60s, late 70s, late 90s, or late afternoon. I, I don't know. Am I going to die having never resolved the twisted parts of my own soul? Am I going to die having never experienced freedom? Am I going to die having, having never done, believed, said, prayed, gotten help for? I'm, I'm literally fighting the same fight I've been fighting since my late teens and I'm in my late 40s. And I, and I found the Lord just asked me a question that broke my heart. I didn't want to answer it. I answered it like I was mad at him because I was. And he said, well, what's the Bible say about that, Jim? And I said, oh. It says to love you with all my heart. You know, the one that's filled with rage. Thanks for asking. With all my soul. You know, the one that's still screwed up. With all my mind. That, that literally takes the opportunity to think through and imagine the worst possible scenario so I can say horrible things to people in my head as they say horrible things to me. How many of you guys know when you argue with yourself, you always know the right thing to say that hurts? 
And with all my strength, I look down on my belly and I do my talk about that part. I said, God, that's the problem. If I was loving with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then what you just said is what's my commandment. I told you I'm failing your commandment. And he just led me so, so lovingly, beautifully back to Just say it again. Okay, here is Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all, say, stop, stop. Love the Lord with all your heart. Jim, can you love me with all your heart? And I'm walking, having this, this conversation. And I said, well, no, I can't. And why can't you? I said, because my heart has problems. He said, okay. Did I tell you you couldn't love me until your heart didn't have problems? And I went, oh, crap. What are you saying? Well, keep going. Okay. Love you with all of my mind. Okay. Did I say that your mind had to think as I think before you were allowed to love me with that mind? What about your soul? I'm getting excited. My soul. That part of me that's wrinkled in places and, and torn and bruised in places. Did I tell you you couldn't love me until your soul was perfectly healed and looked just like the soul of my son? No, you didn't. What about your flesh? I'm like, let's not talk about that. Let's just keep walking. All your strength. And, and I hope you're getting the point of the conversation. I realized something that day that's, that's it's given me great hope and it's given me great peace in relationship that God's not telling me I can't love him until I'm perfect. If I'm hearing him right, what he's saying is the road to perfection is by loving him. When I love him with my broken heart, I just did it this morning, by the way. Uh, that you are my champion. How many of you know that when you're, when you're in a battle and you're not winning it, it feels good to say to Jesus, you are my champion from a broken heart, from a heart that's wrestling. You hear what I'm saying? From a, from a mind that is distracted with details still dealing with stuff. Just happened three weeks ago. I'm with one of the deacons. Some of you guys know it's always fun when you sit in front of the deacons. I'm crossing French Laundry. Um, I saw the, like a little garden place across the street, and I was with Dan Abel, and I said, Dan, hey, come on, let's go look at that little tractor. Let's go look at that. So we walked. There was a car parked, and some, some kid was accelerating from like Fenton House towards us. Like, he was in a hurry, and I was looking across the street. And I went, oh, Dan, I stopped. Well, he slams on his brakes, and he just started F-bombing me in the middle of the road. I'm not in control, so what am I? I'm in danger. So, <laughs> so the pastor of Freedom Center Church, in front of everybody drinking their $9 lattes, I said, what's that? I can't hear you. You're going to have to get out of the truck. Come here. You, come here. Stand right here. I stood in the middle of the road. And he backed down. I said, show some respect. And I walked off, and I thought, oh, that wasn't good. It's... <laughs> You know what's funny? Some of you guys are like, amen, kill that kid. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm confessing my sins that I might be healed. You're like, oh, I, I just beat him. I'll hold him. You run him over with the truck. It's, it's not, I'm not trying. There's a reflex in my soul that is so incredibly violent and out of control. When I'm out of control, I get out of control. And I, and I was reminding myself, you know, as I kind of sobered up from that moment, God, I, my heart has places in it I wish didn't exist. My soul has places in it that are still unhealed. My mind has places in it that I still don't want you to hear. My strength has places in it that still has no strength. But with all of my twisted heart, I love you. With all of my messed up soul, I give you me. With all of my mind that still doesn't know how to think. Because I know that in your presence, I will find the answers to my questions.
And if I leave you out of my equation because I can't come to you until I'm perfect, I'll never, perfection comes from being in a relationship with the perfect one. And I'm never going to find that from, from my, I'm the fat guy saying, as soon as I become a bodybuilder, I'll go to the gym. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? Because I, I just believe that God wants to do something cool in your life. And it's a little weird, but I would just say this. I don't think that what we're doing here today is, is perfection training. I think it's standing in awe of his perfection and his patience with those who are not perfect. I think by loving him and approaching his throne that is literally a throne made from the substance of grace. With the name of David on his throne, it's a throne of grace. David who murdered, David who committed adultery, David whose hands were so soaked in blood, God said, you can't build a holy place. Those hands will never be able to build a holy place. There's just, there's just too many won battles and too many scars left on your enemies. Just like, you're going to need to have a son. Well, that son was birthed through a relationship with Bathsheba, another man's wife, whom David took, had her husband murdered, their first baby died, their next baby was Solomon. How many of you guys know God's a God of grace? David was not a man of perfection. He was a man who understood the heart of God. If David waited to write a psalm until his heart was perfect, he had never put pen to paper. But he wrote about the uncleanness of his heart and the faithfulness of his God. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. How many of you guys need a relationship with a God who's faithful? Raise your hand. That's where I'm at right now. I need a God who's faithful. I need a God who takes my broken places and lets me love him even with my brokenness, knowing that my brokenness doesn't stand a chance in his presence eventually. We will not die. Hear me. Those of us who love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will not die in the same condition that we were born again in. God's going to get us through things. God's going to get us over stuff. God's going to get us into things. God's going to get us out of things. God is never going to stop working on you. God is always going to be leading you from glory unto glory, from, from victory into victory, from faith into a greater faith. God is never going to stop working because God is committed to you. God, he who began a good work in you, he's going to be faithful to complete everything he started. There's no half-done projects in the kingdom of God, none. God is working on you even now. If you're here today and you're like, Jim, I'm not right with God. I'm just, it's not like I, I, I need a, a fresher upper. I, I need a born-againer. I, I need a brand-new, clean, fresh slate. I, I need a do-over in my entire life. I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven by God. I need a, a brand-new, all-over-again, never-seen-before, not, not uh, painting over the rust. I need a brand-new life. That's you today, then I would just say this. Jesus is the only way to get that brand new life that you want. That's it. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the A and he's the Z. No man's going to come to the Father. Nobody's getting forgiven. No one's going to be good enough. It's this relational trust in Jesus and that's it. If you need that today, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but it's me and you right now. I need that today. Raise your hand all over this room. I'm going to pray for you right now. I need that today. I need that today. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. I love that. Thank you. You can put your hands right back down again. Pray this with me all over this room right now. If you're praying this for the first time, um, I'm not giving you like a, a recited, memorized prayer. Sometimes it's a little hard to, to know how to talk to God. And, and if my words would help you, then so be it. If you got your own words, then you don't need my words. But we're going to create an environment here where, where people are going to be helping you, kind of praying with you. Um, we're going to be praying this together. 
And not everybody's praying this for the first time, but everybody's going to pray this to create an environment where you know you're supported and you're loved. And we're just going to do it right now. Just bring your heart into the presence of God right now. Remember, it's not a religion. It's an encounter. It's not practice. It's a person. Right now, say this with me to Jesus. Jesus, I was so wrong. And you are right. Forgive me. Take away all my sins. Here's my heart. Here's my soul. (laughs) Here's my mind. Here's my strength. I love you. Set me free. Fill me with your spirit. Taste me your word. And I will see you soon. Amen. Amen. Stand your feet, please. All the workers are moving forward. Please, nobody leave for just a moment. Um, if, if you are in a situation where you're, you're saying that, this is where you are right now. I would love it if altar workers are here to pray for people, but this is an altar intended to, to, to just come and pray. And I know sometimes we play some like thump and bump and in-between service music. Don't do that today, will you? Find something, tech guys, something more appropriate for altar call. Gotcha. Um, thump and bumping's great when you're thumping and bumping, but this is more of a kind of a meditative, right? If you need some time just to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's going to be an environment kind of off in the wings here. People are going to get up and leave quietly, and as quietly as we leave, which is stampedish, you know? But if you need prayer for anything, when I say go, I want you to come this direction so they can pray specifically for you. But if you need just to pray, don't rush out of this room. Um, in your seat, you might get interrupted. Excuse me, pardon me, get around. Be like, hey, how's it going? But if you walk to this altar, you just find a quiet place to pray. People will generally just give you space and know that you need some time. So both of those are available to you. Your kids are waiting for you. The sun's shining beautifully in Southern California. And you're free to leave. God bless you. You're dismissed. See you soon. Need prayer? Come this way.